For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill. And sitting in this week for Ryan Kiesel is ACLU Oklahoma Director of Policy and Advocacy, Nicole McAfee. Well, it looks like the impasse between Governor Stitt and the tribes over gaming compacts is heading to court. The big three, Choctaw, Chickasaw, and Cherokee tribes filed a federal lawsuit naming Stitt as the defendant. Meanwhile, Governor Stitt is reportedly using money generated by gaming fees to hire a Seattle-based law firm to represent him in the legal dispute. Neva, is this unfolding as you expected? Well, it's it's the impasse that we've talked about now for yeah. weeks and weeks, and until <laughs> until uh, we get everybody to the table, it was inevitable that something was probably going to wind up going to the courthouse, mm-hmm. and that's where we are now with this federal lawsuit pending, and we'll see how quickly the uh, the court uh, uh, moves on this. But in the meantime, um, we have this intractable situation where neither side appears to uh, uh, be willing to budge, and unfortunately, it leaves a lot of big questions question marks on uh, what's going to happen with respect to this looming session just weeks away and uh, how, uh, you know, how that's going to impact it. And really, I think in some measure, how lawmakers are going to react to all of this being infused into the equation. Nicole. Yeah, I think it it not only leaves big question marks, but it's uh, racking up a pretty big tab right now, too. which is something to be concerned about. And I think especially as we, we think about the impact of session, mm-hmm. um, we see all of the tribes really standing united um, as a front in in this sort of continued conversation. And I think that that's important because as we think about 38 tribes across the state of Oklahoma, um, that's a lot of different lawmakers' districts. And um, I, I think that that I really hope the governor uh, comes to the table to, to really have a conversation that helps move us forward. Yeah, a and lot I, of times they were saying that, that, that getting 39 tribes to agree on anything is, is almost impossible, but this is something that every every one of them does agree on. Every one, I think there were two that, uh, you know, went with the, with the uh, short-term uh, kind of uh, moratorium or whatever that uh, the uh, that the governor extension that the uh, that the governor had proposed, but you know I think in in terms of talking about the legal fees, the fact that they uh, they have uh, uh, entered into this contract with with the out of state law firm, uh, a firm that did have success uh, negotiating with uh, uh, a compact situation in New Mexico, and you know clearly that was probably the impetus to uh, uh, to go with this firm. But when you look at it, even the uh, uh, the Senate. Uh, appropriations chair Roger Thompson uh, recently you know he questioned whether or not that this was a proper use of uh, to pay legal fees from this particular fund so there that again is going to kind of enmesh all of these different players into you know in into the equation and with all of this uh, competing interest I mean at the end of the day um, in it needs to be resolved because 150 million dollars uh, in the in the budget uh, came from uh, came from these uh, 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 funds that uh, that we get from the tribal gaming out of the out of these compacts. So it's it's not a small you know it's not a small amount that we're talking about. And clearly, I think uh, we have a a situation where uh, now we're going to have to um, you know really leave it, it at the courthouse, and and that leaves probably as many questions I think lingering for most folks as anything because we have no idea what will happen and how quickly. And Nicole, when it comes to the legal legislative session coming up, tribal issues go on either sides of the aisle. We have Republicans and Democrats who are Native Americans, members of the legislative legislature. Yeah, and I think, too, that we've got to think about, I mean, when Indian country thrives, Oklahoma thrives. Mm -hmm. And we're not only talking about compact money to 
to the budget here, but we are talking about thousands and thousands of jobs, folks right. who rely on the gaming industry for employment um, that pays a living wage, for health care, for a whole number of other things um, in, in all across the state. Um, it's it's not just the, the compact worry. It's what does any legal decision here potentially mean for myself and my family? Um, so I think that, that folks are going to be really watching this as we move into session and beyond. Well, and I think another segment that certainly is paying attention is the nonprofit um, mm-hmm. uh, sector of the of this of the state because uh, without question uh, the the tribes have been extremely generous and philanthropic in many of the causes. And so when you start looking at some of those major uh, those major charitable uh, causes, they may severely be impacted by funds not necessarily being used as quickly. While all of this is still kind of under you know under cloud to to say the least Mm -hmm. dueling ballots are getting ready for circulation to put recreational marijuana on the ballot state question 807 and 808 have been submitted to the secretary of state although one of them over the holiday was removed and new legislation was included to better protect the state's medical marijuana industry nicole what's going on here um well i think it's it's a a an issue of wanting to make sure uh, folks get it as right as possible mm-hmm. um, in the vein of many other state questions. Um, 807 is is a constitutional initiative, um, and I think that, that they want to make sure that language is as solid as possible before they put it into the Constitution, which is always good practice in my mind. Um, but I think, I think 807 especially really looks at where Oklahomans are now, not just on marijuana generally, um, but also on criminal justice reform. I think it is a, a ballot initiative that really tackles the issues facing Oklahoma at this moment and, and really looks at providing access for folks for whom the, the cost of a medical license is a barrier. And Neva. And I think I think when we look at the two state questions out there, that it it does appear that uh, 808 is the one that uh, probably by all, you know, at least when you look at it right now, has the um, the ability to go through the signature process, do what it needs to do, um, and and kind of go down that road where the one that was filed 807 by an individual in Tulsa that one seems to be a little more um, a little more questionable whether or not they have the organization the resources and and given some of the uh, situations that surround uh, that particular individual it may be that 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 one may may be the one that falls by the board we'll have to see but you know when we when we really look at this I mean I think what what also appears to be, uh, kind of coming into play is how much opposition is going to be there from the uh, medical marijuana community who already have ramped up in terms of social media and much of their activity, you know, organizationally through their network, uh, which is vast now across the state of Oklahoma. They seem to, you know, they seem to be stepping up and wanting to, you know, be kind of a player on the front end of, of this. So we'll see how much impact that has because when you start, when you start putting all of these, you know, kind of competing arguments out there, it is going to be, I think, a big challenge. You know, do Oklahomans want full-blown legalization um, when what they really voted on and uh, were, you know, very deliberate on is passing medical marijuana? Is that surprising, Nicole, that we've got the medical marijuana is uh, is almost kind of fighting this, the, the idea of recreational marijuana? 
I think that a lot of it is is impact on uh, and concern around what that does to people's pocketbooks. Mm-hmm. Um, folks are really thriving and, and making a lot of money off the medical marijuana industry. And the idea that something could come in and, and potentially butt up against that is is scary um, for some folks. But I think that in sort of the, the updated version um, of that 807 question, what you see is a, a real attempt to make sure that there's better protections for the medical industry as kind of a, an entity alongside but still separate from a, a recreational field. Um, but I do think that um, that attitudes are, are maybe different than folks assumed when just medical was on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when we think about sort of the, the barriers to access, when you think about the cost of a medical license, um, that while it's recreational in name, for a lot of folks it will still be medicinal. Um, and I think that, that further, too, we think about what the, the excise tax um, proposed in this initiative is funding, and it, um, it's schools and it's the authority, um, but it's also drug addiction treatment programs. And when I think about sort of where Oklahomans are and the real need for that education um, and just access to treatment, that, that this could be a really important moment for us to invest in that um, in an industry that's that's already thriving and allow folks there to continue to expand that. I do think there will be a lot of education, as you say, and debate as this this whole conversation moves forward. Because heretofore, in most states where they have they have legalized marijuana, there has been not that great a discussion on what the flip side of that is and what the and what many people are now beginning to argue. In fact, uh, you know, there's a former a New York Times business uh, reporter that has written a book called Tell Your Children the Truth About Marijuana, Mental Health, and Violence, that it's interesting. His contention is now that he's had what he calls a brownout, that no major media across the country have given any uh, have given any attention to this book, that it, really when he began to write it by his own admission, he said, I didn't have a kind of a, a, a feeling one way or the other. I was just interested in knowing the information. And now he has come down very hard against, you know, this full-blown legalization of marijuana. And I I think, you know, I think that side of the equation that's been very limited in the discussion will have to be something that we'll see uh, much more, you know, out front as this campaign begins to develop, if it does make it to a 2020 ballot. Yeah. Meanwhile, the state pulled in nearly $55 million from the medical marijuana industry in 2019, the first full year with it on the books. While tax collections dipped slightly in November, they rebounded to a record $7.2 million in December. Neva, are you surprised by the success of this product? Well, I think I am. I mean, those are pretty <laughs> those are pretty phenomenal numbers. I mean, when you, when we're talking medical marijuana mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and as as some of the projections now are, if the state averages uh, 7 million a month, I mean, during during 2020, we're talking about being on a pace for about $84 million uh, uh, being collected and this year. So it plateaus. And that's right. That's exactly that's exactly right. And so, uh, you know, I think I think when you when you look at those numbers, I don't think anyone. I mean, there was never the conversation that it was going to be at this level in terms of all of all of the different components that they were uh, talking about early on in their projections. This has exceeded all of them. So yes, I think it is a surprise. And Nicole. Um. I, I think it's certainly a surprise for the broader public at, <laughs> at large. Um, I think, Were you not surprised? Uh, not not quite so much. And I think that that's why we see sort yeah. of the discussion about expanding it beyond just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, medical as is. What are the, the opportunities um, for, for 
income um, yeah. for the state of Oklahoma in, in a time when um, oil and gas is not not looking great for us. Where are there opportunities to continue to to build a budget um, off of a, a really thriving industry in the state um, that that has a, a really large, vast swath of Oklahomans um, who are who are purchasers there. And I think the question is with medical marijuana people understood or thought they understood what that was about. And now talking about full-blown legalization of marijuana, I think that's a whole different conversation. And I'm not convinced that there is any data out there that we've seen that really indicates that a broad uh, group of Oklahomans want the full-blown legalization. I mean, they, they, and in essence, really, uh, given the parameters of the medical marijuana card that one can get, I mean, it, it really lends itself to those that uh, you know feel the need to you know have access to that you know have a pretty have a pretty uh, easy ability to get that now through the through the Mer- uh, medical marijuana card so mm-hmm. you know i think that's going to be the challenge is will people believe that there's some is, is it just a money is it just the money equation or oh, we can get more money by uh, you know going broader in the full blown legalization or are there unintended consequences that are going to be uh, such that people are going to, you know, pull back on that idea. Oh, Nicole, you're, uh, this, uh, the idea of tax collection has always been used in the re-legalization argument for, for marijuana. And Oklahomans, if you want to educate Oklahomans, we don't have to look very far at what recreational marijuana will bring into a state when you look up at Colorado. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that, right, like, purchasing power tells a lot. And when we think about the continued growth of the medical industry, um, there are folks who are who are hungry for access and, and different products. Um, and I think that we, we've got to think about it too in terms of, of not only the conversation around the financial impact, which is always going to be a key part of the focus and I think is an important part of the argument for a lot of people. Um, we look at states like Colorado and the excise tax and what that's done for public schools. Um, yeah. And I think that there are Oklahomans who are excited about the opportunity for that here. Um, but I think we've got to think about like the, the criminal justice reform argument of it too, right? And the fact that right now we have not, um, it's not that we've criminalized the drug, we have criminalized drug users. Mm-hmm. And the opportunity for regulation um, really allows just safety for everyone. Um, it, and expansion of this beyond just people who can afford that initial doctor's appointment and that medical card um, means that folks who use marijuana for a variety of, of ways to treat health concerns, um, have greater access to safer product, um, while also help helping our, our economy. So I think that, um, you know, in the dollars and cents argument, it is, is common sense. But the other, but the other side of the coin that I, I come back to is the health and mental health and and these other issues that come about by the by the use of marijuana, whether it uh, whether one contends that it's a gateway drug or or just purely recreational to that to that that one particular uh, item. I think there are so many there's so many things out there that have not been fully measured or really delved into that are going to be critical for voters if they get this on the ballot to really take a serious look at that that this is not something where we do it you know looking at the short-term gain and not looking at the long-term consequences and the impact that it can have on society and how much do you think the the timing of when that gets put on the ballot i think one of the reasons why medical marijuana passed was they put it on the primary ballot, which is when you get your more, the the, the more uh, the, the, those voters who really are driven to go out and vote. And 
That's an issue they would. Well, so and, and, here, general, and here's another question. On, and here's another question on that. You know, when you have whatever the number was, 160, 180 thousand people come out just you know for a single issue, vote on that. Didn't care what anything else was on the ballot. Uh, will will they have been satisfied? Are they interested in coming back out again? Can they be can they be mobilized, or will that number get larger or smaller? I mean, there are a lot of things in a campaign uh, context that are much different than just this, you know, just the broad conversation about should we or should we not legalize something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that uh, will it make it on a 2020 ballot? It's on it's on a pretty fast track to have to get a lot done very quickly to, for that to happen, even on no, on a November ballot. So well, I think we'll have to wait and see. Would you rather, Nicole, see it on a primary or a general election ballot? Um, I, I really think that there is the support in the state of Oklahoma um, for either. And I think that I think that in a general election like 2020, when we see folks sort of more mobilized than traditionally so um, for the the top of the ticket um, all the way down. And I think that there are going to be several sort of state questions that could possibly Mm -hmm. qualify that have real related um, education platforms when you think, um, you know, just about the healthcare discussion with 802, or you think about sentencing reform discussion with 805, um, that I think that the sort of the regulation aspect of marijuana fits in there. Uh, really well. And I think that there are going to be a lot of folks um, who have economic and health ties um, in the marijuana industry now who are paying more attention um, and for whom this may be the issue that they come out for and it may actually impact and help folks uptick it. Speaking of tax collections, just before the holiday break, the Equalization Board met to certify the budget for the fiscal year starting on July 1st. According to the Tax Commission, our state is expected to pull in an estimated $8.4 billion through June 30th of 2021. Neva, while this is a 0.1% increase, it's basically just a flat budget, right? It is, it is, and that is the way it's being characterized, both by lawmakers as well as the governor. And the governor has made it uh, clear that uh, uh, the one-time funds uh, last year, the $250 million that basically uh, were used uh, for you know technology upgrades, uh, other things that uh, needed to, uh, one-time maintenance type things that were done, won't be available. I mean, at least in the budget that he's going to present to lawmakers. And so I think we have the beginning of this uh, give and take. I mean, the governor having a very firm point of view that he's beginning to lay out, lawmakers having their own uh, viewpoints on what needs to be done. And he has said that his top three issues are going to be health care, education, and criminal uh, justice. And where he uh, looks for new dollars or how he sees his budget uh, uh, allocating you know, additional revenues in those areas, it's going to be interesting to see what he rolls out, but you know we have all of these other you know uh, all of these other issues at play, just like uh, some of the state questions that you talked about. Mm-hmm. That uh, uh, where we're uh, w- w- all of all of which are going to have some some impact uh, during the the course of uh, February to May, and and how this all finally rolls out budget-wise. But I think the fact that, you know, the other the other component to me that, that is going to be interesting how it gets uh, into the mix is we have a billion dollars, one billion dollars in reserve accounts now. We have uh, uh, the 800 plus million in the rainy day fund, the constitutional reserve, and then we have the 200 million that the governor and the legislature uh, set aside last year from mm-hmm. the surplus. So, you know, will there be this struggle to want to uh, access some of those funds 
for specific things uh, in in this year. And let's remember, it's an election year. These folks <laughs> have got to go back home and and uh, 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 you know be able to tell what they've done to their constituents. So I think it is going to be interesting, starting flat. But I think there's a lot of flexibility in how those numbers are going to move. Nicole. Yeah, I think I think it'll be interesting, especially sort of in the the context too of the the ongoing compacts discussion um, and what it could look like if tribes are not giving and sort of supplementing um, <laughs> state funds in a, in a lot of parts of the state. So I think about the amount of money that tribes give to schools in a lot mm-hmm. of rural Oklahoma or what it looks like for uh, for rural health care access. Um, and so I think that that sort of that continued impasse between the governor and tribes could have an impact on budget discussions with a flat budget, too. Um, and I know that the governor asked agencies to ask for less this year, um, but in listening to a lot of those hearings over the interim, um, one of them, <laughs> yeah, yes. what I've heard is a lot of folks who have continued to operate sort of at a, a shortfall and have all of these holes to fill. And so I think, uh, again, we'll sort of see the same discussion we've seen for the last several years of how do we keep these agencies afloat um, when they've already are operating sort of at the bare minimum if we're not seeing an increase. Well, right. you- State Impact's Robbie Korth actually had a story earlier this week about how uh, Oklahoma is one of only four states where higher education actually declined in the last half of the 20-teens. So at some point, do we need to start thinking about funding some of the things we haven't done in 10 years. And I think some of these joint budget discussions that have been going on even this week uh, with respect to education and higher ed, um, I mean, there there is a clear interest on the part of lawmakers to really look at some of these issues more seriously, I think, this session. And, you know, the other thing from a budget standpoint is we have $200 million in additional obligations uh, next year that, that come from the property exemption uh, reimbursements to the local school districts, to the uh, the bond debt for the capital renovations mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's being finished up, and then these increasing, uh, uh, the increasing costs for the uh, teacher health benefits, you know. So, so there are things, there are obligations there that, you know, also everybody has to stop and remember are there on the table that have to be addressed. And, and so you, we're kind of at this point where we're talking kind of, uh, we're, we're talking kind of the high altitude numbers, right? now kind of looking down but when people drill down into these budgets I mean it's going to be interesting to see where there are winners and losers which there will be I mean when you're talking about a flatline budget and everybody having fewer dollars to really allocate this coming session. A state lawmaker is trying once again to raise the minimum wage in Oklahoma. Oklahoma City Democratic Senator George Young is pushing legislation in the coming session to raise the base pay for workers from the federal minimum of $7.25 up to $10.50. This isn't the first time Senator Young has pushed for a minimum wage bill. Nicole, do you think this might have a a chance this year? I think it's always tough uh, Mm -hmm. to have this conversation, but I think especially in an election year, legislators are, are always smart to engage in it and to think about what it means and who's impacted by a, a low minimum wage. So we know that in, in 2017, uh, numbers show that 71.4% of Oklahoma workers who made minimum wage or less were women. Um, so we're talking about a lot of women. We're talking about a lot of people of color um, who, who for whom this is not a living wage. Um, and I think that that we we sort of look to to places where it is doable in Oklahoma. So we look to to places like the Cherokee Nation, uh, where Chief Bill John Baker during his tenure uh, raised the minimum wage to nine dollars an hour, and where Chief Hoskin has just uh, raised it to eleven dollars an hour for Cherokee Nation employees. Um, so I think that 
that there are examples of it happening on the ground in Oklahoma. Um, and I hope that um, Senator Young's discussion doesn't just get buried in the fact that he's in the minority in the Senate, um, but in the fact that this is really an attempt to relieve suffering for a lot of folks and by being able to pay uh, a better minimum wage, um, that there are a lot of sort of residual impacts um, and consequences that we cover the cost for as taxpayers now. And there comes a point where it also becomes a business aspect because when you have uh, 21 other states who have higher minimum wage, if you start losing hemorrhaging employees, at what point do the big businesses come in and go, you know what, actually, maybe we need to start getting interested in this as well? Well, and it is interesting. I mean, we, right now, Texas, Kansas, both match us in terms of the, the $7.25 minimum, you know, the minimum wage. But when you look at Missouri at eight sixty, you look at Arkansas now at $10. And, and how those have come about, if I'm not mistaken, is that they went the, the initiative petition route because mm -hmm. they couldn't get lawmakers to, uh, to move on it. So so again, some of these difficult questions, like Nicole mentioned, that you know that it's difficult to get that conversation going, oftentimes in the legislature, uh, and particularly in political years. Let's right. face it, <laughs> uh, you know, with elections coming up. But but the fact is, it's been since 2008 uh, that we've had uh, the rate increased, and it was from 6.55 to seven and a quarter. So uh, it is a timely discussion. It is a difficult discussion. You get a lot of pushback from small business and other folks who you know live on a very thin you know margin sometimes to even survive as a, as a small business and having that uh, infused into uh, into their uh, into their budget and their profit margin uh, is a is a difficult conversation and there's and there is a lot of pushback but you know I think I think at some point we're going to see just like we've seen in I think it's the is it 31 states that, that have it's it tied like to that, the yeah. you know to the to the federal um, minimum wage, uh, that, that there may be some movement, but I haven't heard much conversation, quite frankly, mm -hmm. among lawmakers to this point, that it's something other than uh, Senator Young's proposal that he, the bill he's filed in the Senate, uh, that there's been a very limited conversation, at least at this, at this juncture. And Nicole and Neva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the ACLU, KOSU, its staff, or management.